silly, silly little Philadelphia Eagles, they had the audacity to line up Kerry Williams on Des Bryant, and Des just abused him <laughs> habitually while he was in Philly. Yeah. So I'm praying, I'm praying to the football gods that for some reason you allow Des Bryant, if he does play, to line up on Kerry Williams, and we can see some of that. It's an easy answer. They're worse than last year by far in terms of the pass protection. Um, again, I mean, I think the Seahawks right now are either leading the NFL or uh, they're up in the top three in terms of yards per carry and yardage total. So their run game is still pretty good, and you have to be kind of happy about that. And I think that's kind of what the Seahawks want. They want good run blocking. Three teams, the Patriots, the Broncos, the Bengals. You have the Fish going ham after firing their coach after four weeks. It's just all hell is broken loose in the AFC. In terms of being a hole or a contender, I just, they're kind of a, for the moment to me, they still strike me as kind of a gazy. All right, all right, all right. You are now rocking with the best. Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of Cowboys Crunch Time with KD. I am your host, as always, KD Drummond. Follow me on Twitter at KD Drummond NFL. You see how easy I made that for you? My name plus NFL. Follow me on Twitter. You won't be disappointed. And as always, you can read along on CowboysHQ.com. Myself, the one and only Cowboys insider, Mike Fisher, Jordan Ross, Mark Lane, and of course, Joey Ikes, bringing you the latest and greatest, the best in analysis, inside information, and everything you want to know about your Dallas Cowboys. Tough weekend. The Cowboys made a transition to Matt Castle as the quarterback. There were some good things. There were some bad things. The offense did look rejuvenated after that debacle against the New England Patriots. Uh, before the bye week. But they still didn't come out of the game with a win. And at the end of the day, that's the only thing that matters, wins and losses. Cowboys have now lost four games in a row, dropping to two and four in the season. And they have the Seattle Seahawks, two-time Super Bowl representatives for the NFC, coming to town this Sunday with that fearsome defense. To make matters worse, it appears that the Seahawks have righted their ship in their victory last Thursday over their division rival San Francisco 49ers. Although, let's be honest, it's the 49ers. So, to find out what's really good with the Seahawks, we're going to bring in my man Danny Kelly of fieldgoals.com. Great Seahawks blog. He's going to give us the ones and the twos on everything we need to know about the Seahawks. We'll also be joined in this episode by my man, Ryan Burns. Give us the view from the opposite conference because the Cowboys still have Super Bowl hopes. 
and we need to know what's going on with who we're going to be matching up against in San Francisco in February. Keep hope alive. That's what we got to do. But in the meantime, in between time, let's talk about this thing of ours, this team of ours, the Dallas Cowboys. A lot going on in the media because everybody likes clickbait, and Greg Hardy is 100% juicy clickbait for all websites. He's ratings for ESPN because all things Cowboys matter and all things Greg Hardy leads Sports Center. In the game against the Giants, the Cowboys were obviously frustrated, and Greg Hardy went on a what is termed a sideline rant. We saw him in a heated conversation with Des Bryant. We saw him going at the special teams coach after the kickoff return to Dwayne Harris. And not trying to make excuses for the guy, but who the hell wouldn't be pissed off to see the team scratch their way back and then give up a kickoff return? I know I was pissed and yelling at the TV. So I'm glad to see that somebody on the Cowboys was pissed. But like Jason Garrett said, it might not have been the right time or place. But you got to have a little bit of crazy on your team, especially your defense. And if I'm okay with Des Bryant having his sideline rants, you best believe I'm okay with Greg Hardy having sideline rants. And lo and behold, today surfaced some video with some audio where you heard Hardy in his rant begging other defensive players to help him make it a quality effort. And I think that's a lot of times what gets lost. I don't want to pretend like I was some sports star. I was anything but that. But I think my mentality allows me to understand how different walks of life deal with things differently. So I'm not going to sit here and judge athletes who are sitting there running into each other 100 miles an hour on whether they have the proper etiquette when it comes down to these high-pressure situations. And the majority of the media people that get on their soapbox and talk about these things don't have a background in playing sports either. They definitely don't have it at a high level. Now, if you have athletes that are on TV or former athletes that are on TV, I'll give them more of the benefit of the doubt as far as their standing. But they seem to always forget the other guys that get away with all of these tantrums. Nobody's talking about get Tom Brady under control when he's berating other players and coaches for their mistakes because he's, air quote, Tom Brady. Greg Hardy doesn't have the career of Tom Brady, obviously. Quarterback is a different position than defensive end, obviously. He's completely changed the dynamic of the Cowboys' defense. Nobody really gets to Eli Manning. They went the first five games of the season without giving up more than one sack in a single game. Philly has a great rush. They got him three times. The Cowboys got him twice. We saw what happened. Nobody had sacked Tom Brady on the season. I believe it was uh, four sacks over five games or three sacks over four games or something. The Cowboys sacked him five times in that game. So he is clearly making a difference in the Cowboys' defense. He is clearly a difference maker. And yes, you write different rules for difference makers. <laughs> 
That's how life is. And I think what we see in a lot of the media's portrayal of the situation is a bit of jealousy of the people that get rules written differently for them. Because everybody seems to like to pile on a guy when they have the opportunity. Make no bones about it. Greg Hardy has put himself in the crosshairs based on the situation that he went through while in Carolina. There's no mistaking that fact. But then we get reports that Greg Hardy was AWOL last week. Excuse me? Do you not follow Fish at Fish Sports? Because on Thursday of last week, I saw the tweet where he said, Greg Hardy is not at Cowboys practice. He's sick. And there was nothing made of it. All of a sudden now, Ian Rappaport gets on Twitter talking about he went AWOL. And on NFL Network, talk about he went AWOL. No, the F, he didn't. But based on Hardy's background and then his sideline antics, it was, let's try to make this look as damaging as possible because, A, it's the Cowboys, and, B, this is something that's in the news and everybody, for the most part, hates, except for Cowboys fans. So it's a perfect storm. And to be honest, the shit pisses me off. But it is what it is. That's the world we live in today. Clickbait journalism 101. And we're the fodder. And it's going to be that way until the Cowboys can re- can right the ship and start getting wins. Because you know what's going to happen if the Cowboys can survive this and then turn it around once Tony Romo and Des Bryant comes back? They're all on the job. And everybody wants to write reclamation stories about the Cowboys and how they pulled together and banded together and transformed Greg Hardy into, you know, the type of player that you can win with. Now, before all of that happened, we were on the roller coaster of whether or not Des Bryant was going to play. He didn't. He was out there in pregame warmups doing his thing, but he was already ruled out paid for his own flight to get there to support his teammates. Big up for that. Not like he doesn't have a lot of money. But, you know, he did buy a $300 plane ticket on his own. So, you know, people made a big deal about that. It was kind of crazy to me. Y'all realize he makes $14 million a year. He can, you know, buy his own jet. But regardless, he paid for his own way to the state, to New York. So the Cowboys are probably in a situation where they really do need him. I'm fearful of what the offense looks like against the Legion of Boom without Des Bryant occupying Richard Sherman all the time. So we'll talk to Danny Kelly about that a little bit later. But yeah, man, it's uh, it's getting a crunch time. It's a damn good name for a show. It's crunch time, ladies and gentlemen. The Cowboys are two and four. I, I I hate teasing an article that I haven't finished writing yet, so I'm not going to. <laughs> there we go. I'm not going to do it. But let's just say that it would be a shame if the Cowboys wasted the opportunity of this season based on shitty backup quarterback play. Matt Castle wasn't horrible. Matt Castle's insertion into the offense led to the return of the big play by the Cowboys. 
If you read on CowboysHQ.com, I have an article up about toxic differential and toxic events. Those are basically big plays, and I think those are the true measure of the ebb and flow of a football game in the National Football League. Big plays return to the Cowboys offense for the first time basically in a long time. They had 10 big plays, runs of more than 10 yards, passes of more than 25 yards. 10 of them. The problem is they also had three offensive turnovers and two humongous special teams gaps. But Matt Castle has to take responsibility for the three turnovers, and they hurt. The pick six was unacceptable. There was part of it that was on Terrence Williams for not finishing out the route. The pass wasn't as accurate as it needed to be. I would lean more towards it being Terrence Williams' fault than Matt Castle's, but the quarterback does still take some of the blame on that pass. For some reason, they decided to still target Dominique Rodgers-Marty later in the game, even though he was the only quality defensive back for the Giants. And then the lollipop that he threw when Terrence Williams actually beat his man by three points, and if he had thrown it on time, was a surefire touchdown. Those things affect the outcome of the game, and it was obvious that if he had performed better in those situations, the Cowboys would have won because the Giants suck. Let's not mix any words about it. Let's not mince any words. The Giants suck. They barely beat a third-string quarterback. That's what gives me hope for the rest of the season. The Giants suck, and as long as Philadelphia doesn't bench Sam Bradford, not worried about them either. To be honest, I'm more concerned with Washington, even though they're playing with Rex Grossman uh, 2.0, because they're doing all of this, and Frank Kerrigan is going to be coming back and giving them more of a pass rush, and Deshaun Jackson will eventually come back and give them a deep threat. But the NFC East is right there for the Cowboys to be able to do everything that they thought they would, but it's getting harder and harder with each loss. Now, a positive, because I... I hate it when I get on a rant and I only talk about the negative stuff. It's juicy, but there was a lot of positive from this game. The defense only gave up 13 points. Granted, the Giants' offense had less to do because of the interception return and the kickoff return, but it was still a positive for the defense. They're not getting turnovers. That sucks. They have to change that to do anything this year. But I think they'll come. Turnovers are so temperamental. I think they're just going through a bad stretch. On the flip side of the ball, the Cowboys' offensive line finally looked like what we expected them to look like. They've actually been doing a great job in pass protection on the season. But for the first time in a long time, they were able to open up Mike Strahan teeth gap size lanes for their running backs to run through. They made Darren McFadden look like a legitimate starting running back in the NFL. And sure enough, he's been handed over the keys to the kingdom. After Joseph Randall got injured on the second carry of the game, 12 yards a carry, I must say, 
McFadden took over, and he did not embarrass himself. He looked really good. His pass protection improved. He shot through the holes, and they were huge. McFadden averaged 5.2 yards a carry for the game, 29 carries, 152 yards. Of those 5.2 yards per carry, 3.4 yards per carry of that happened before he was ever touched, dominating offensive line play right there. Dominating. And if the Cowboys can continue to do that with Lyle Collins in at left guard, and after the bye week, a seemingly now healthy Zach Martin, who had the stinger in the preseason, and Doug Free, who was still dealing with his foot, if the offensive line is healthy and gelled, combined with a defensive line that's getting pressure, always a shot that this team could do magnificent things down the stretch. And fortunately, the NFC East is at the point that we don't really need to worry about anybody running away with a division. The Giants still have Carolina and New England left on their schedule. Yes, the Cowboys still have Carolina and Green Bay on theirs. But every team in the East still has to face New England. The Eagles just lost to Carolina. The Eagles also have, I believe, second place. So, yeah, they have the Arizona Cardinals on their schedule as well. So nobody's running away with this division. And the Cowboys are right in the thick of things without their franchise quarterback. We all know the speech. I don't need to give it to you again. So let's see what they can do whole. But they've got to win one or two of these next three games in order to get to Tony Romo in a healthy position. All right, let's get to the guest line because I really want to dissect. I don't normally do opponent previews, but with the Seahawks coming to town, I had to touch base with my man Danny Kelly of field goals. And then, of course, I had to check in on the AFC with my man Ryan Burns. So let's get to the guest line before we do anything else. Trust me, you won't want to miss these next interviews. Let's get to it. I have a primetime feature for you, my listeners, here on Cowboys Crunch Time with KD. The one and the only Danny Kelly of FieldGoals.com is here to share his knowledge on this week's coming opponent, the Seattle Seahawks. If you are so inclined, and you always take my advice, so I know you will be, you must go follow him on at FieldGoals on Twitter, and you must make a stop over to the dynamic blog that he runs over on SB Nation's network, fieldgoals.com. He works for that site. He works for SB Nation, Maine. This is a man, a jack of all trades, and I am very honored to have you on the show. <laughs> Mr. Kelly, thank you for joining us today. <laughs> Thanks for having me, and uh, appreciate that great intro. You know, I, I try to give 
my listeners a sense of the type of talent that I bring into the show. And this is no exception because I only like to talk to people that are truly in the know about their team. Actually, I rarely bring on uh, experts of the opposing team, but with the Seahawks coming to town, I had to, there, there was absolutely no choice. I had to get you on. I've been, I've been meaning to get you on the show since last year. I thought we were going to meet in the conference game and then we would have talked yeah. then, but alas, Des caught it, but the ref didn't think so and so on and so forth. So we have you now. Yeah. In anticipation of this uh, less than desirable matchup as far as the networks might be concerned because things haven't exactly right. gone according to plan for either one of our teams. But the Seahawks are coming to town, and the very first question that everybody wants to know, are the Seahawks back? Yeah, that is that is a really good question, honestly. And, uh, you know, it, it's tough to know. I would say I lean towards – I lean more towards yes. Like, they, they do look like they're going in the right direction, certainly. Um, but, I mean, they've been pretty inconsistent, too, so it's really kind of tough to know. Um, I mean, and that that even goes back to last year a little bit. They had a pretty slow start last year as well. At one point, they were 3-3, three and three, and then, you know, at 6-4, and four, they had kind of a come-to-Jesus team meeting, um, you know, to kind of figure out what was going on, and from there on, they won the rest of the, their six final games. And then, mm-hmm. you know, obviously two playoff games to get to the Super Bowl. So it's a little bit similar to last year in terms of, um, you know, they kind of had to struggle at the beginning of the year, got Cam Chancellor back, which is huge for them. Um, and, but then for some reason weren't able to finish out games, particularly against the um, – well, first off against the Lions, and they had the Cam Chancellor miraculously punch the ball out at the one-yard line. But um, right. And then also against the Panthers – that was a meltdown against the Bengals. It was a meltdown. So um, it was good to have them kind of just finish out a game last week against the 49ers. And it feels like they're back a little bit, but um, I'm definitely not kind of, you know, feel, I don't feel real comfortable with that because just the way they've played the first couple, you know, last couple of games. Yeah, it's interesting with, with the team that you have lost to in your uh, – be, before you defeated the, the uh, 49ers on Thursday night because Carolina and Cincinnati are obviously two of the more surprising teams. I believe Carolina has now won 11 straight regular season games. Uh, Cincinnati yeah. is obviously also undefeated. Uh, so it's not as if you can say you lost a team that had no business being in the game against the Seahawks. Uh, the Detroit game, right. obviously, from the outside looking in, you guys should have lost – referee in 2015 is what it is uh but for the most part (laughs) the performance that you guys put forward on thursday night kind of symbolized like yeah when we're when we're buckling down we're about our business once again and like marshawn lynch says you're about that action boss so i look at it like i'm a little bit more concerned about this matchup than i think a lot of casual cowboys fans are because they see the record they see the struggles and they think it's going to be a cakewalk but i am very concerned that the Seahawks were back. And along those lines, I want to touch on your expertise because anybody that reads Field Goals knows that you guys, uh, you cover the team in general, but your aces when it comes to the X's and O's. So talk to me about the Seahawks defense. What changed when Chancellor was out? And have you reverted to what you've been in the years past? Or is there still some wrinkles that have kind of uh, morphed over the course of the year? Well, for the most part, they're pretty much the same. Obviously, when Cam Chancellor was out, they there was quite a bit of a drop-off just at his position. Um, he's really, really good against the run. You know, you find him – he's just really instinctive, and, and he diagnoses plays really well, so you find it that he, like, will shoot through gaps or shoot through 
Um, you know, he he just is always where he needs to be in the run game, first of all. And then in, in terms of his drops and zone drops, that's really kind of what the Seahawks do. Um, you know, they have the, the back three in terms of their free safety, Earl Thomas, and their two cornerbacks. And then Cam Chancellor is generally, uh, you know, kind of a box guy. So he starts up next to the linebackers and he either zone drops into the curl flat area or he'll blitz every once in a while, things like that. But he is so good at getting to his spots, getting to his landmarks, um, you know, reading the defense, reading the, sorry, reading the quarterback's eyes. Um, you know, obviously, I think the the best example of that, he picked off Peyton Manning last year uh, on a zone drop in the Seattle game. Then he also picked off Cam Chancellor, or sorry, Cam Newton in the uh, the playoff game last year against the Panthers. Right. Um, those are two kind of good examples of his ability to sort of read the, read the eyes of the quarterback and drop into his places. So, his precision in those two areas, in the run defense and in the drop, uh, are really what they missed a lot when he was gone. And now that they've gotten him back, it's, it's been a big improvement. Um, the fourth quarter stuff is, is just weird because um, I, I, there's not really any real answer for it. Like, they lost to the Panthers on a broken play. They, they had, you know, half their guys were in cover two, half their guys were in cover three. They just didn't get the signal. And right. so it was a total right. busted coverage. Um but that said, you know, their fourth quarter defense has just been atrocious until this past week where they, they did really well. So, um, overall, though, Cam makes them really a lot, a lot better. He's a huge player for them. Um, they still do basically their cover three stuff most of the time. It's either man on the outside or cover three zone. Um, they pretty much keep it simple for the most part. It, it's really not – they don't do a lot of blitzing or crazy, you know, trying to – mask their coverage schemes or anything like that. They just kind of line up and, and um, you know, kind of just want to beat you with their simplicity almost, and, and they just have to execute so well. So in the past, obviously, it's worked for them. Um, this year, the defense isn't quite as good in terms of the numbers, but they're trending in the right direction. Um, and, you know, obviously right now, their pass rush is kind of one of their main strengths. Uh, Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett are just on fire lately. I think Michael Bennett's actually tied for the lead in the NFL in sacks right now mm-hmm. with six mm-hmm. and a half. He had three and a half last week. Um, Cliff Averill is just a menace on the outside, and, and they work together a lot. And they kind of have – they play line games a lot, and they, they line them up next to each other on third downs a lot. And so those two guys next to each other have been really effective. So those are the main things to watch for this week. Now, for the Seahawks, this is kind of a revenge game the same way last year it was for the Cowboys a revenge game because everybody remembers uh, the despicable loss of a couple of years ago when Golden Tate had the blindside hit on Sean Lee. Cowboys fans were outraged, right. and everybody was looking towards the game last year as the revenge game. And showing up the Cowboys exactly that revenge, and the refrain after that game was the Cowboys basically out-Seahawk the Seahawks. So I'm sure that didn't sit very well with Pete Carroll and his troops and that they are looking for uh, more than an ounce of revenge, regardless of who's on the field. Uh, there is still a possibility that Des Bryant plays. We don't know right now. Uh, Tony Romo is obviously going to be out. So we are handicapped going into this game, but it is what it is. It's the NFL. Everybody has boo-boos. So talk to yeah. me about this revenge factor and how you think it'll come into play, or if it's just more overblown media and fan talk than actual uh, a thing for the players. <laughs> I would guess, for the most part, it's, it's overblown for the players. I think it's mostly media-driven stuff and fan-driven stuff. But, um, I mean, I'm sure they obviously remember that. And, and one of the things about that game was 
the late game, you know, Tony Romo made some incredible plays in the late part of that game to yes. uh, to give the Cowboys a win. Some of those throws were – the throw to Terrence Williams was like one of the craziest plays I've ever seen in my life. Um, Legendary. So, Legendary. <laughs> yeah, for real. Like that was like the best play <laughs> probably all year that we saw in a Seahawks game. So um, I don't think it's probably much of like, you know, a revenge type thing. I think the Seahawks obviously remember that and, and – I think they want to, you know, it's the same deal is what they've had this year. Like they, they didn't close that game out like they wanted to. Um, and I think they'll probably be focusing on, on just making sure to, you know, play really disciplined and get back to their ball. And, and I think the big thing is, you know, stopping the run because you guys obviously run the ball really well, um, ran all over the Seahawks last year. And that was kind of an aberration really, because they don't usually give up a whole lot of running yards. Um, so I think, you know, that's going to be the main focus is, is, making sure that can like stop the run and, and put the game in Matt Castle's hands. I assume he's starting again. Is that, is that kind of the plan? Oh yeah. They're going to start castle uh, until Tony Romo comes back. The, the difference between the big playability of the offense in general, not just through the passing game, but also on the run game, it, it's leaps and bounds compared to what it was with Brandon Whedon. So there's, there's no doubt castle right. is starting until Romo comes back. Yeah. So I think what the, they always do, and, and this is another one of the main strengths of the Seahawks is uh, the way that Pete Carroll kind of approaches the game every week to week is, is very much just focused on what you can control, and so they don't they don't they try not to talk about any of that revenge factor. They don't talk about um, really what the other team is doing. They they basically just talk about what they're doing in terms of you know being in their spots, getting their run fits playing disciplined, you know, not getting beat over the top, things like that. And that, that kind of like keeps them even keeled going, you know, week to week. And I think that's been a big part of how they've had a lot of success over the last couple of years. So um, that they'll bring that mentality in. And I don't think it'll be, they don't talk about like getting up for any games. They, they always want to be on the same level in terms of right. just always be, you know, in the moment or whatever. So, um, so uh, yeah, I, I don't really think the whole loss last year factors in a whole lot, um, other than lessons learned from you know what happened and what went wrong last year, pretty much in, in terms of I think especially the run game and then the late you know giving up some some huge plays, Tony Romo down the down the stretch that really kind of sealed the the Dallas victory. And once again, we're here with the one and only Danny Kelly. Make sure you are following him on Twitter at Field Goals. And uh, also his uh, outstanding website, fieldgoals.com, on the SB Nation Network. Uh, very pleased to have him here talking Cowboys and Seahawks in anticipation of this Sunday's game. Now, last year, correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I don't watch Seahawks 24-7, so correct me if I'm wrong. It seemed interesting that Richard Sherman tended to kind of follow Des Bryant around a little bit. Is that the norm, or is he normally, you know, left side only Kerry Williams on the opposite side type of, well, last year it was, uh, it wasn't Kerry Williams, but is it normally that he's assigned, yeah, Byron Maxwell, is it normally that he's assigned to a side and it's rare to see him trap uh, a number one receiver like that? Yeah, so generally speaking, over the last couple of seasons, it's really been, for the most part, uh, Richard Sherman staying on one side. He's always over there on his side, and they don't travel typically with, like, the number one guy. Uh, and that goes to trusting their guys to be disciplined and all that. Um, but that being said, they've changed things up a little bit this year in how they use Sherman. They've actually okay. used him in the slot a little bit, um, which is new. 
And then they've had him traveling every once in a while, depending on the matchups. The last week um, against the Niners, he followed Torrey Smith around after the first, I think after the first drive, they switched him over to Torrey Smith and followed him around, and he shut him down. He didn't have any catches. He only had one target. Um, I imagine if Des Bryant plays this week, they'll do exactly the same. They'll, they'll have Sherman shadow him. Um, it's a great matchup. Obviously, Des Bryant, one of the top probably three receivers in the NFL, um, if not the best. Um, so it's, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to that, um, that matchup because it was a pretty good one last year. I think Des got the better of Sherman a few times, but I think Sherman also played him pretty well in other, you know, obviously you can't stop the guy. He's, he's just right. freakishly good. Um, but I think, you know, it's a cool matchup. So hopefully that he'll, they'll both play, um, and, and we'll get to see that because that's one of the most exciting parts about, I think, like this, this matchup. The, the, the reason I ask is because if Des plays, you know, silly, silly little Philadelphia Eagles. They had the audacity to line up Kerry Williams on Des Bryant, and Des just abused him <laughs> habitually while he was in Philly. Yeah. So I'm praying, I'm praying to the football gods that for some reason you allow Des Bryant, if he does play, to line up on Kerry Williams, and we can see some of that. Um, what's the overall impression of what Williams has been in your defensive scheme? Uh, because for for us in the NFC East, we we, we didn't really respect the guy's talent base. Um, has right. he more? since he joined the Seahawks is surrounded by obviously much better talent. Did that work for him? <laughs> uh, I think the jury's still out a little bit. People right now are, it's, it's trending in the wrong direction. I'll put it that way. Um, okay. Started out the year pretty strong actually. And, and people were like, wow, maybe it was just the Philly scheme. Maybe like the Seahawks scheme just really works for this guy. Like it fits his skill set, his talent set, uh, set. And so, in the first, I think, three or four games, he played really well, and people were like, nice. And then the last couple of games, he's been not good. <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> he was abused against the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, A.J. Green really kind of lit him up. And then uh, I'm trying to think of what else he's done. Um, I don't think he had a particularly good game against the Panthers. Um, so... He's trending in the wrong direction, in other words. He, he's really not been very good last couple of games, and um, he's almost kind of like that spot that other teams are, are targeting now. It's like their weakness. Um, so that's why Sherman is traveling with the number one receiver. Um, you'll see them kind of mix things up, and uh, they don't want to put too much on Kerry because he, he really, you know, he's just not, he's not, a, he's not that good of a player that, um, you can just line them up and expect them to shut down some of these top receivers in the NFL. It's just not going to happen. So um, he is one, I guess, weakness in their defense. Um, and I, I don't think he's good, as good as Byron Maxwell. Obviously, we've seen what Maxwell's done in uh, Philly this year, which has not been good. But um, Maxwell was really good in the Seahawks scheme. So um, I think it, it, it is a downgrade in terms of what they lost. Um, but I think he probably could have expected that. And, you know, everything we heard right. from Philly fans this offseason is that Kerry Williams is terrible. So <laughs> I don't think he's been as bad as maybe some people were imagining, but he hasn't been great on the other hand. Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting thing because I don't hold out much hope for our uh, group of receivers to do anything against Sherman if Desmond's playing. Uh, Terrence Williams is cutting routes short. Uh, Devin Street has been missing in action for a year and a half until that touchdown against the Giants. And Bryce Butler, yeah. the guy that we uh, traded for from Oakland, he he seems to be on, on the come up, but I still don't know what he can do 
uh, against a top-flight cornerback. So I'm praying that they find a way to target Kerry Williams, <laughs> and, and that will allow the offense to still be explosive. Um, on the flip side of the ball, your offense has been having a very difficult time protecting Russell Wilson. And we all know that sacks are not only on the offensive line. They're also on the quarterback who might hold the ball too long. Uh, you know, various things can result in a sack. Uh, guys not getting open in there being cover sacks, et cetera, et cetera. Talk to me about what you're seeing. Is the, the offensive line of Seattle has been great zone blocking-wise in the run game, but it hasn't mm-hmm. been a stout pass, pass blocking team over the years. Have things really fallen off that badly this year, or is there a specific thing that you yes. can point to? They have. <laughs> no, they have. Uh, it's, it's an easy answer. They're worse than last year by far in terms of the pass protection. Um, again, I mean, I think the Seahawks right now are either leading the NFL or uh, they're up in the top three in terms of yards per carry and yardage total. So their run game is still pretty good, and you have to be kind of happy about that. And I think that's kind of what the Seahawks want. They want good run-blocking uh linemen but at the same time what happened was last year uh what happened was from this last year to this year they replaced their center they obviously traded max Unger for and it was part of the jimmy graham trade uh they got the guy who had no start in the nfl and drew nowak and he was the replacement um they replaced their right tackle justin Britt, who moved to left guard they replaced their left guard uh who you know went to the jets james carpenter um, so they had three new guys on the line, all three of which are really inexperienced. Um, and so things have been terrible. They're on pace for like seven, to give up 70 sacks this year. They only gave up 42 last year. I say only, even though last year it was terrible too. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's been the biggest issue, I think, for the Seahawks, other than kind of what's happened in the fourth quarter of the defense, um, is, you know, protecting Russell Wilson. Now, I will say, like you alluded to, some of these sacks are on Wilson. You know, it, it's definitely not like just the offensive line is the issue. Um, you know, he's, he's still developing as a pocket passer. He still has the tendency to try and run away rather than step up into the pocket to make throws. Um, that may never go away. They may just kind of live with that because he's so excellent in other areas. Um, but it is kind of one of those things where I think they're trying to get him to, you know, get the ball out faster. That's one of the big things they made – you know, they made that into a point of focus last year. They're probably doing the same this year. Um, still getting on the same page with Jimmy Graham. Obviously, I think uh, it's going in the right direction. They had, he had a big game against the Panthers. He's looked good at times, and, and, you know, it seems like he's kind of trying to – he's starting to become more of a natural feel for the Seahawks offense, so that's going to take some time. And obviously, you know, when you get a new player in a system, um, it takes a little while to develop rapport with the quarterback typically. So, And, and that's kind of what we're seeing, I think, uh, with Jimmy Graham. But um, basically, yeah, the, the main issue for the Seahawks right now has been protecting Russell Wilson. Um, you know, a lot of times it's just one-on-one, just losing one-on-one with the pass rushers, like getting beat outside and, and like, just getting slapped away on the interior and, and getting crazy pressure up the middle. Um, so they have a long way to go. And, and really there's not a whole lot they can do at this point. I don't think there's any, like, free agents out there that they could sign, right. you know, to, that would, like, <laughs> do anything better so they're just kind of like it, it's growing pains and I think they expected that for sure like they're not idiots they're not naive they expected it was going to be a struggle um, but they, it, it may be worse than they even imagined um, so what they've done is you know obviously try and lean on their run game um, they did that against the 49ers last week uh, and that worked pretty well and 
the other thing they're doing is trying to get Russell Wilson into deeper drops. So they're having him run what looks like kind of like a bootleg uh, play action fake, but instead of bootlegging out, he just drops back like 10 yards um, mm-hmm. to throw. And so that's another, that's kind of like they're, they're working through ways to try and protect him a little <laughs> bit, give him uh, a little okay. more time to run. So it's been interesting for sure. It's the main thing that people complain about here in Seattle is the terrible offensive line. You know, obviously you have all these weapons like Marshawn Lynch, Russell Wilson, Jimmy Graham, and even Doug Baldwin. And um, people are like, man, you can't even use those guys because Russell Wilson never has time. So that's another big reason that Jimmy Graham um, kind of narrative right now is that he's not being used enough is a lot of it is like Russell Wilson just has no time to throw. Um, now that now that being said, Wilson is having a pretty good season statistically. I think his his percentage uh, his completion percentage is up over seventy, which is you know really good for him. It's been right. proven over last year. Um, his yards per attempt is up a yard or two from last year, which is great. Um, you know he he's throwing accurate balls. He's he's had a few kind of head scratching turn turnovers in terms of uh, interceptions, but. He's still doing a pretty good job of protecting the ball, and that's kind of what they want him to do. And he's still running around and making plays and, and doing his Russell Wilson stuff. So um, I think he's actually having a pretty good year, despite all that. I should say, you know, I, I should say even with all that, he's having a good year. You know, so that's encouraging. Well, you know, because I like you, I'm going I'm to make you this offer one time. I'm going to go ahead and give Jerry Jones a call. Ask him if he'd be be willing to trade you guys Ron Larry for Earl Thomas, and I'll go ahead and make that happen to help your your offensive line. I, I'll do that for you. Are are you oh, in? Man. Uh, no, I think I think I'll stick with the offensive line sucking and, and keep Earl Thomas. He's just uh, such an irreplaceable player in their defense, and um, I mean you guys know about him down in Texas, and so um, I mean he he's just a special player. He is. I don't think I'd trade him for just about anybody. <laughs> yeah, the, the interesting thing is that uh, our first-round rookie, Byron Jones, has been, uh, he, you know, he's he's obviously a hybrid player, cornerback slash safety, and mm-hmm. he put he, he, he kind of locked down Rob Gronkowski a couple weeks ago. So Cowboys fans are very interested to see what he can do against Jimmy Graham this coming Sunday. Uh, we will yeah. – uh, 20 minutes goes by so quickly. Damn. Um, obviously, it, I'm, so, I'm so happy to have you on the show. If things turn around for the Cowboys, which all Cowboys fans are knocking on wood that they do, and we end up making the playoffs, I, I actually have a lot of confidence that you guys are going to turn it around uh, and get that. Uh, if you can't catch Arizona, which is still up for debate, uh, get that final wild card. So hopefully we'll have a chance to talk again in the playoffs this year as we were supposed to meet last year. And if so, I would love yeah. to have you on the show. Definitely did. I mean, I would love to, and I think I totally agree with what you're saying. I think with the way the NFC East is shaping up, I mean, the Cowboys are still in this. You know, right now they're oh, yeah. kind of surviving. Well, they're they're not surviving necessarily. They've lost the last four games, but they're you know there's still enough time to get back on the right track once you get Romo back, once you get Dez back, and you kind of get your identity back. Because right now it's just like it's it's so difficult to play without two of like probably your best players, right? Um, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it, it. The nice part is NFC East is kind of a mess. <laughs> you guys yeah, that, that, are uh, the, the, the beautiful thing is everybody else sucks. So that's that's yeah. what it comes down to. <laughs> the Cowboys are injured and everybody else sucks. So there's still a chance. Exactly. Exactly. So I mean, I think once you get Romo back, 
does just such huge, huge factors. And so, um, I mean, it's a long season, <laughs> and, and I don't think this thing's anywhere near over. And I, and I feel the same way about the Seahawks. I think, um, you know, for a while there, I was like, ooh, they just don't have it this year. But then they show these glimpses of it um, where, it, you know, it's like, okay, that's the team that we've seen go to the Super Bowl two years in a row. Like, you know, they're going to get their craft together and, and kind of get this thing righted. But right now, I think for both of our teams, there's just so little margin for error going forward. So it, yes. it kind of has to happen soon. Over the next couple of weeks, I think it, it, it's kind of going to come down to, um, you know, the next couple of weeks in terms of how realistic it is playoffs are in the future for these teams. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a three-week window for both teams uh, to get their acts together. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it kind of makes it, – it's not a must-win this Sunday, but it's a – it's a must win or else you're going to have to start running the table type of game for, for both teams. So, right. Uh, very exactly. exactly. I would say so. All right, sir. Thank you so much for your time. Again, this is the one and only Danny Kelly. I know my listeners are enthralled with the information that you've given them. So follow him on Twitter at field goals and also check out his Seahawks blog fieldgoals.com. Mr. Kelly, thank you so much for your time today. Hey, thank you. I really appreciate it. I actually really do enjoy uh, interacting with uh, Cowboys fans in general. I just, I don't know why. I think maybe it's our mutual hatred for the Niners. Um, <laughs> That'll do so it. I, I think there's a kindred, kindred spiritness to it. So <laughs> There it is. Thank you so much, Danny Kelly, ladies and gentlemen. All right, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we have reached Nirvana here on Cowboys Crunch Time with KD as the one and only Ryan Burns joins us to discuss the AFC, that other conference that is actually kicking the NFC's ass when it comes to being interesting for 2015. Mr. Burns, how are you, sir? I'm excellent. And of course, you're you're giving me that Nirvana on the way, and I'll take that, man. That's good stuff from my high school days. So I bet uh, man, I'm, I'm, I bet I'm you have some listeners you. that can't even ID that. <laughs> I, I, I can guarantee you that if I didn't say the word Nirvana, they would have no idea uh, who that was. But, I mean, the music is timeless regardless of whether you know where it comes from or not. That shit just rocks. I, I, there's no denying it. That, that's just a great damn song. So there it is. Now, we know what else is great right now. Three teams at the top of the AFC standings. Three undefeated teams, the Patriots, the Broncos, the Bengals. You have the Fish going ham after firing their coach after four weeks. It's just all hell is broken loose in the AFC or the AFL, as I still like to refer to it as. Talk to me about what's going on in your conference. 
Yeah, well, you sort of mentioned the highlight of it. I mean, we've got three undefeated teams up there with New England and Cincinnati and Denver. I'll tell you, to me, look, Denver's living on that defense in terms of oh sort of God. being a whole – in terms of being a whole or a contender, I just they're kind of a for the moment to me they still strike me as kind of fugazi. But the the two teams that I think aren't getting enough run. You did mention the Dolphins, and and they've certainly come out of nowhere since making the coaching change, and the defense is playing out of its mind, as uh, as I think a lot of us expected it was going to be be pretty solid going into the season, and then we're right. let down through the through the Joe Philbin portion of the season. Uh, but I think the two teams that are probably still going to sneak up on some folks are the Jets and the Steelers. You know, the Steelers are at four and three, sitting there just a, you know, they're behind the Bengals, and of course they're they're battling this weekend, and that could end up being a pretty big game if the Steelers can't get one over on the Bengals. Um, but with Ben coming back in the near future, I think that's a team you have to keep an eye on because they're going to start scoring a ton of points, and the defense has actually been mostly pretty passable all year. So I think yeah. as long as they're hanging around, which they were, I mean, you, you really have to credit Tomlin and the coach staff and the whole organization for the way they have gotten through that period without Big Ben and using, I mean, Landry Jones of all people leading them to certain victories. And, and so I think you got to keep an eye on them and then the Jets. I mean, I, I really feel like we're talking about three really good teams and, and then the Jets. And that's pretty much right. the AFC for now. And so I, I, I still look at it as, as, you know, you can look over in the NFC and see any number of teams that are scuffling along midway in their divisions. And I think they're better than a lot of these teams in the AFC. And it's just kind of one of those weird seasons where it looks like the AFC is, is really powerful when, in fact, we're really probably talking about a couple of pretty good teams. I mean, for God's sakes, the Colts are in first place at three and four, and we all have seen how bad they look. So um, you've got an entire division there that's just complete garbage. So, I, I, you know, the AFC seems to be sort of like what we talked about going into the season, KD. It's, it's these two or three competitor teams and then a whole mess of crap. Yeah, it's interesting that you brought up the uh, the fact that Indy's leading their division at three and four and their crap. The Giants are leading my division at four and three and their crap. They almost lost to a third string quarterback on Sunday. It just happened to be our third string quarterback, and that made it even the more painful to watch that happen. But suffice to say that I'm not really impressed with much outside of the Cowboys, and that's why I think if they can just make it to Tony Romo coming back, they just need one win out of these next three. That they're not that all hope is not lost when Romo comes back because I look at the schedule for the Cowboys and yes Carolina is on the schedule yes Miami is on the schedule and they're obviously going to be a much tougher game than we thought it was going to be just two weeks ago but the Cowboys compared to the rest of the NFC I think they can win I mean I, I think they can win out I should say uh, even including the game to, the game at Green Bay if you want to call that a loss and say hey Romo comes back and they go six and one but there's nothing in the NFC that impresses me to the point of saying like when you looked at the schedule at the beginning of the season and you see New England, you say, oh, they're probably going to lose that game. Green Bay is the closest one to that. And with their issues with Eddie Lacy right now, I'm not too sure that I'm as worried about Green Bay as I was at the beginning of the season, even though they're still undefeated. So I look over at the AFC and I see what you're talking about. The Jets are very impressive. I have no idea how they lost to Philadelphia. That's right. Chris Ivory wasn't playing in that game. And then Pittsburgh, I agree with you completely. Their defense to me has been so shocking compared to where everybody in the universe yeah. saw, thought they were to start the season. I mean, I listened to, you know, Sirius XM faithfully on my drive into work, and Shannon Sharp was on there, and he ripped a caller for saying that uh, the Pittsburgh defense wouldn't be as bad as everybody thought. And they really haven't been. So that's your division rival. Talk to me about what you're seeing with Pittsburgh, because you know Cowboys fans hate the Steelers and would love to hear anything bad you have to say about them. 
Yeah, you know, my go-to line on the Steelers just keeps proving true, and it's just that they, they just know how to win. That team yeah. just consistently finds ways to win football games and be there at the end of the season, you know, when it's time to make a run. And they've done it again here, like we're talking about, you know, getting through these games with Landry Jones at the quarterback position. And so, I mean, with what you're saying about the Cowboys, yeah, I think it's kind of the same thing where you're talking about what, what had the had the looks of a pretty explosive offense and then you lose your quarterback and you have to wonder how that's going to go. Obviously, for the, for the Cowboys, they're in a position – I agree with you. They're in a position where, you know, the schedule lays out favorably for them and their division hasn't run away from them. So they're, right. they're still more than in the thick of it. Um, the Steelers, I think, really got to get a win against the Steel, against the Bengals because the Bengals are going to be seven and zero if they win this weekend. And, and I mean, with uh, and at that point they'd be two and zero in the division. They'd be six and zero in the conference. I mean, they're starting to run away just a little bit. But you, that Steelers defense is one of the reasons which you didn't expect coming into the season, but you really think they have a chance going into this game. Um, but then again, you've got matchups with guys like A.J. Green and Marvin Jones, and you start to think, well, that's maybe a little different than some of these other teams the Steelers right. have been facing. Um, but the Steelers are just, you know, they're they're making a bit of a defensive shift away from Dick LeBeau and towards Mike Tomlin. And, and you know, when things from a, you know, sort of a philosophical standpoint are, I guess the word I would use is when everybody's rowing the boat the same direction, you know, when everything is sort of uh, cohesive, you know, you tend to get better results, and I think that's what's happening here with the Steelers is, is you've got alignment among, you know, defensive coaches, and they've they've more or less got a lot gotten the players into position that they want. I think they'd probably still really like to upgrade their back end, but they've gotten really good play out of those corners and safeties this year for most of the time, and that that was completely unexpected. They've got guys out there that going into the season, a lot of us hadn't really even, you know, you'd heard of them, but that was about the extent of it. They're playing pretty good ball, and and I mean that four and three record without their quarterback is something to be proud of. Yeah, I wish the Cowboys were able to uh, to perform as well as they have with their backups, uh, and it's really an outlier. Um, you know, Indianapolis is kind of a weird year. Uh, a lot of backup quarterback situations are playing out the way that you expect them to. Teams that are in the negative when it comes to the quarterback quarterback matchup normally lose, which means that if you're starting a backup quarterback, you're normally going to lose. Indianapolis had the two games with Matt Hasselback where he looked much better than what's going on with Andrew Luck, which is mind-boggling. Even though we've known that Luck is a turnover machine, we never expected it to be this bad as far as he's looked so far this year. But Pittsburgh winning with Mike Vick and Landry Jones basically doing nothing, and they're still able to win. I mean, Mike Vick looked horrible, and they still won the game. Uh, Landry Jones is obviously Landry Jones for a reason. Kansas City kind of exposed him because they're having a horrible year, but they were able to defeat uh, Landry Jones. But if they can just make it until Big Ben comes back, they're going to be a formidable team to match up with. Now, once again, obviously, sorry, folks, we're here with the one and only Ryan Burns. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at Football Sickness. F-T-B-L sickness. Don't even spell it out. He does not want you to waste any keystrokes on vowels in the word football. So it's just F-T-B-L sickness. Go give him a follow right now. He is uh, he has the Football Sickness Podcast, which is a must-listen with him and, and uh, Sendog. You definitely have to tune into that. But he is our AFC guy, so we have to ask him about some things that have kind of been bubbling on Cowboys Twitter the last couple of weeks. Uh one thing is the Cowboys without Des Bryant have obviously been exposed as 
lacking in the wide receiver position. Terrence Williams has kind of been exposed that he is a number two receiver at best. Uh, Devin Street has not shown up, and they did make the trade for Bryce Butler. Trade deadline is coming up, so I have to ask you, based on your knowledge of your division rival Baltimore, do you see a chance that they'd be willing to ship off Steve Smith? He's planning to retire. They're they're one in six now, I believe. It's been a horrible year for the Ravens. Do you think they would part ways with him? You know, I think in a vacuum, that'd be something that would obviously be at least reasonable or maybe even wise for the Ravens to consider. But my understanding there is that, no, they're really not. Um, and, and that may just have something to do with sort of an understanding that, you know, the front office has with Smith himself. He's he's certainly come out and made some pretty strong statements in the last week or so about, hey, I went to Ozzy and I told him I don't want to go anywhere else and I'm not interested in playing anywhere but Baltimore to finish out my career. And, you know, a, a guy like Steve Smith, if I'm running an organization, has some cachet with me. I'm not trying to jerk him around because I've got eventually down the line, somebody else is going to come to me and I'm going to have to have some sort of a, you know, a foundation of trust underneath it. And I can't be breaking words to guys like Steve Smith because right. then pretty much everybody knows that your word's no good to anyone. So I, I, my impression is that no, Steve Smith really isn't available. And with the, with the deadline coming up, I mean, you'd think, um, Baltimore being one and six, I'm not sure Baltimore feels that they are in full blow up and rebuild mode. And so as much as it would make some sense to trade a guy who's, you know, at the end of his career, uh, for some, for some resources, I'm not sure that a, the resources they could get in return would be all that valuable. And then B, um, it seems to fly kind of in the face of, of what the guy wants and what the team has told him they do. And that, for all I know, I mean, I could go back to when they when they signed him coming out of Carolina because there may have just been either you know a tacit or even an expressed understanding that look, you're not you don't get to trade me. This is where I'm going to be, and uh, certainly that's that's what Smith has expressed over the past week. And so until we see something different, I see no reason to believe they're going to trade him. Yeah, just uh, I guess it's just hoping beyond hope. He just seems to be the type of player that you would want on your team. Oh yeah, and obviously the, Cow- the the Cowboys' record isn't that far away from the Ravens right now, but there is hope because they achieved their record without their franchise quarterback. Meanwhile, the Ravens are pretty much full go except for Terrell Suggs. Uh, so there's hope that they would be able to turn around if they had somebody like Smith. Uh, but yeah, it, it's a great point that you're making. He's not really the type of player that you do something that he doesn't agree with. Uh, even from the point of view of trading for him, if he wasn't interested in being traded. Right. I don't think that would right. work out very well uh, for most teams if, if they acquired him for the stretch run and he wasn't interested in leaving Baltimore. So I guess it is what it is. Yeah, that's, you know, I think there's that. I'm not sure I would I would be so concerned that Smith wouldn't be, um, you know, an on-the-field pro where he traded. Uh, and I certainly like the idea from the Cowboys' standpoint. Although I'll say this, Katie, I'm not sure that the Cowboys are so much lacking as they are lacking when Des Bryant isn't there. You know, um, Des changes a whole lot just by his oh, yeah. presence on the field. And so, to me, those other guys become awfully, you know, they're pretty good when he's on the field. And so, to me, it's sort of can they? It's the same thing with Romo. I mean, man, to lose one was one thing, but to lose them both was just such an impossible thing to overcome. Um, and so here they sit having lost several games in a row as a result of it, but not out of it. And so to me, I think the thing is it's starting to look like you're going to get these guys back sooner rather than later, or at least Des sooner rather than later. And so, man, to me, I'd be just trying to trying to hold the line. I, I think they're going to be basically fine when those guys get back. It's just a matter of do they get back soon enough. 
Yeah, I'm greedy. I, I, I agree completely with everything that you said, but I, I'm, I'm a greedy type of guy. I just have visions of Des Bryant on one side of the field, Steve Smith on the other side of the field, Jason Witten and Cole Beasley in the slot, and then an offensive line that seems to have found their footing in the run yeah. game and being a completely unstoppable juggernaut heading into the playoffs. But we don't all get what we want. As is no, we definitely by the don't. Two and four. <laughs> All right, now I need your, before I let you go, I need your inside expertise on this one because Steve Smith wasn't the only big name that I've seen brought up. And let me first, uh, because I'm always one that likes to attribute where I hear things first, uh, Raphael Vela of CowboysNation.com was the first person I saw mention trading for Steve Smith, and that was weeks ago, and it's just kind of been bubbling under the surface since then. So I want to make sure I send that attribution out there. But Another name that's come up recently, and I've had some discussions on Twitter with people, is a long-term name that you are very familiar with. Do you think that if the Cowboys offered the Cleveland Browns a North Carolina pulled sandwich, they'd be willing to trade for Gordon? Nope, I really don't. And, you know, I, for, for a number of reasons I say that. Uh, first, they didn't trade him when he had a ton of value. Right now – I mean, I, I just can't see how it would happen. Number one, he's not even been reinstated. You know, you've got to get this guy into April of next year, I believe, or I guess February of next yep, year. Exactly. Yeah. Be, before he can even apply for reinstatement. So we're so far away from Josh Gordon being able to actually play that I think I think most teams just consider him sort of an afterthought. And if you're the Browns, there's really, you know, his contract has been – basically frozen so it's not like they're losing service time with him as this goes on he's just sort of in limbo right they, they still have him under contract for a decent for a couple of years and so you know looking at it why would you if you've already got the guy there and you know what kind of a talent he is to me there's no value in letting somebody else have that at a massive massive discount it's either that guy's going to play for us or he's not going to play and so that's that's certainly been their their you know their public stance on it over the course of the last year or so, and I'd be surprised if it changes at this point because look, I mean you think the Cowboys are lacking, the Browns are not in a position to be just letting superstar wide receiver talent out the door, troubled however it may be. Uh, they have nothing out there. You got Travis Benjamin as their quote unquote number one wide receiver, and he can't get off the line. I mean, he's a good player, but he can't get off the line against a physical corner. And so you're talking about a team that for three years now, its entire fan base has been screaming at the wind about getting a you know a big, dynamic, talented, physical wide receiver, and and that's what Josh Gordon is. Um, and so if that guy is going to come back, and by all accounts, you know it's sort of a you know, it, there are reasons to hope that this guy is going to get it together because that the violation that got him suspended this last time, anyone that looks into that is going to feel like, geez, that was pretty draconian. I mean, I know that yeah. guy had his history and he needed to be 100% across, you know, above the board. But when you read what it actually was, and I won't waste everybody's time here, but when you read what it actually was, having a cocktail on a plane after the season ended with his friends, uh, you start to think, geez, the NFL sure does get their fingers all the way into these guys when they choose to. Uh, and so to me, you see that that's the one time he had had some kind of a test or an issue over the course of a year and a half. 
and all reports now are he's working his butt off in the off se- or what is now a year long off season and so right. as as pipe dreamy <laughs> if you'll excuse the pun as it may be uh, to be expecting Josh Gordon to come back i think there are at least a number of signs that make it pretty reasonable for the browns to just kind of sit back and let this thing play out um, I think if there were going to be a time that they would consider trading him, maybe it's more like after he dominates in the preseason and then they're trying to sell <laughs> a little bit higher. Yeah, I, I don't well, think me, he's going anywhere in the immediate. Let me ask you this question. If the Browns miraculously, you know, reeled off 10 victories in a row or something to that effect, and they're a high-quality team, at that point, do you fear them? Do you think they fear bringing him into a successful mix? Because I get what you're saying. If if the Browns aren't doing very well, why on earth would you give up a talent like that? But if it was the kind of thing of, well, we can't really start to depend on this guy because we're doing good without him and so on and so forth, do you think that might change things for them? Haven't cut Johnny Manziel yet. Amen to that. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't seem like they're too concerned about it, you know. And And yeah. so far – so far, the uh, you know, if you look at what Manziel's been able to do on the field vis-a-vis what Gordon's been able to do on the field, there would be literally no reason whatsoever to keep Manziel. I mean, I know he's a quarterback, and look, I'm a huge fan, but if they're not cutting that guy, I see no reason they're cutting Gordon. You know, I, I think, I think they actually feel like they've got decent veteran leadership in that locker room. I feel like, I think they feel like they're at least on the offensive side of the ball, they've got the right coaches in the room. And so, no, I, I, I feel like they're actually fairly confident that they could absorb Josh Gordon. And I don't think they view Josh Gordon really as a problem in, per se. He's just – he's been unable to sort of, you know, manage his, his personal foibles. So I, I think it's more a matter of, hey, let's hope we can get this guy back into a position where we can hope he can get on the field and just go from there. There it is. Now, before I let you go uh... – Early in the off season, or or prior to the season, I should say, uh, me and you were doing a preview, and we talked about the Patriots. I said, "Is this going to be a middle finger campaign?" You said this was going to be a double <laughs> middle finger campaign. Nothing has changed. We are. Uh, I, I I kind of take them being undefeated as our little baby uh, because a lot of people were worried about you know the Super Bowl hangover and getting rid of Revis and blah blah blah. And they mm-hmm. have pretty much dominated everybody in front of them, uh, except for you know this past weekend. So I'll ask you. We're going to broadcast this show prior to the Thursday night game. Do you see the rejuvenated fish jumping out of the water and biting the Patriots in the ass? Do you think they can pull off the upset? Well, no, I guess I really don't. I think they're certainly talented enough to compete with the Patriots if they're playing their absolute best game. Um, I, I guess I'd be real curious to see what we're going to do about Gronk because I keep watching this guy getting free releases off the line everywhere, and uh, and as long as any defense allows that, they're going to lose. And, you know, I watch this Dolphins team, and I look at the teams that they're beating up on, and do I really think that what they've done over the past couple of weeks is something I'm writing home about? I I really don't, to be honest with you. I mean, I think Houston's terrible, for example. So right. the, the fact that they went up, went out there and beat up on a hapless Texans team doesn't really impress me. Um, but clearly they're playing with a renewed vigor under under the new coach and, and all that. But, no, to me, there is no way that team is going up into Foxborough and beating the Patriots right now. I just I just don't see it. I mean, I, I think the Jets, by, just by way of example, the Jets went up there this past weekend, and like you said, that's as close as it's gotten for the Patriots. But I think the Jets are maybe the third-best team in the AFC right now. So I don't think that about the Dolphins. I, I mean, the Dolphins, to me, remain sort of what 
they what I thought they were until they do this for like six, eight weeks in a row and they're playing really good football for an extended period of time. Um, you'll just have to consider me sort of a half believer. I, I don't think, you know, firing a coach and bringing in the new rah-rah guy, it, it, typically that's not going to last real long. Right. Like ultimately, right, exactly. it gets back to can you execute, can you block, can you tackle, can you score? And while they're doing all those things with better frequency over the past couple of weeks, I think it's a whole other task to try and go and do it up in Foxborough. And we will see this coming Thursday whether my man Ryan Burns is right or wrong. I'm leaning in the same direction because, like I said, we predicted that they were just going to run rush out throughout the entire league. So why stop now? Uh, my man, Mr. Burns, as always, it is my pleasure to have you on the show. We are going to circle back around with you real soon. My Cowboys have to get their act together because the whole premise of you joining the show is to see who the Cowboys would face in the Super Bowl. And two and four ain't going to get it. So they're going to have to fix this ship. Right, right, fast, quick, and in a hurry in order to do that. But until that happens, we will continue checking in with you on a regular basis, sir. I appreciate it, KD. Always a great time, man. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. That is the one and only Ryan Burns. Ladies and gentlemen, make sure you're following him on Twitter at Football Sickness again at FTBL Sickness. We will be right back after this musical interlude. Actually, you know what? No, we won't. We're going to call it a day. That's what we're going to do. Two-part Cowboys Crunch Time with KD for the week because we're ramping up. We're getting ready for the return of our offensive stars, and we have to bring you the goodness. So we're going to end this portion of this week's show. And we will circle back around with a new episode for you tomorrow. That's right. Back-to-back days. That's how we do. In the meantime, in between time, you know what it is. Salute.